Hey, what a great family we are. Isn't it amazing to be together? And if you're visiting with us, um, I sort of have a couple of roles here, help to look after some of the biblical teaching and also some of the cross-cultural ministry stuff that's going on. And probably over the next month or so, you'll hear more about um, some of the cross-cultural stuff. We've got a, um, a family heading off to Vanuatu soon. And anyway, time's limited, so you'll hear a bit more about that. But if we've never met, come and say hello after the service. I feel like a guest because I'm only here, I wasn't here last week, I was in Hobart. Um, next week we'll be in Bunbury at our, our sister church there in WA. So um, yeah, I feel like a guest sometimes coming here. I'll get straight into it. So if you've got a pen and paper or your little smart device, I really want you to take notes. I'm talking this morning, the number one thing you need to know about spiritual gifts. How many people here have heard a sermon, a seminar or read a book on spiritual gifts? Confused? I get confused. There's so many different views. In fact, there's almost this fog of information about, well, what are they? When do they happen? How do we define them? And, you know, what's, what's prophecy? What's a word of knowledge? What's a word of wisdom? What's, you know, do I have the gift of healing? We have all these unanswered questions around spiritual gifts. Now, here's a bit of a... Um, disclaimer. I'm not going to answer most of those questions this morning in 20 minutes, right? But I thought to myself, if I was a brand new disciple of Jesus, what would be the number one thing I should know about spiritual gifts? Because we could spend decades talking about how the Holy Spirit moves, how does the Holy Spirit manifest, are we a gift, you know, like a prophet or an evangelist? We could go through the four passages there are in the New Testament on spiritual gifts and unpack them for decades because there's so much to mine and learn out of them and then apply into our own lives. But what would be the number one thing that would help me, regardless of how we define them, what list or definition we give those gifts, what would help me if I was a brand new disciple of Jesus to know about spiritual gifts? So that's where we're going to go today and I'm going to cover three of the four main passages about spiritual gifts in the New Testament. If you want to know where they are, let me actually tell you. So you might want to write these down because they're not going to come up on the screen except for the last one. So you can find them in Romans chapter 12 from verse 8. There's a small little list there of spiritual gifts. You can find them in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 at the start of the chapter, really from, from verse 1 onwards. We are going to look at that verse towards the end of the talk today. You can also find some in Ephesians 4 from verse 11. And then finally in 1 Peter chapter 4, you can find a small list there as well. So they're the four lists. But now to get to where I want to go to tell you what's the number one thing you need to know, I'm going to mention some of the other passages to help us get to where I want to go today to explain to you and get in your memory the number one thing I believe God wants us to know about spiritual gifts. Now, here's some of the misunderstandings, right? Um, when you think about all the different spiritual gifts that we have and all the things you've ever heard taught, all things that you've studied, all things that you've read, there's a bunch of misunderstandings I've got on the screen. It's not a complete list. I've just sort of chosen some of the ones that popped in my head, some of the ones I've talked to other Christians about over the years. So you can see here, some people say spiritual gifts are given at the time you become a Christian and that's it. They're like static. That's what you get. So you might have a gift of faith. You don't have any of the others and good luck to you, right? 
that, that's, that's your lot in life and may the Lord bless you as you go. But that's actually, that's not true. It's actually an inaccurate or let me say it a better way, it's an incomplete picture of how God uses his plan to achieve his purpose through our lives, particularly in his body, which is called the church. The body of Christ is often referred to as the church. And so another one here is that the more extraordinary, like those supernatural things like speaking in tongues, the interpretation of tongues, those sort of things that we, well, I think sometimes, not on purpose maybe, but unintentionally we've elevated those more dramatic expressions of spiritual gifts. And it's like we think that that person who exhibits that gift must be very spiritual. Oh, man, they must be really holy. You know, that person over there is a prophet. And my, they, they, they must be more holy. They must be more righteous than me. They must have a better relationship with God, with me. Well, that's also inaccurate. In fact, the Bible in all of the four passages I've already mentioned, just by reference where they are, clearly tells us that every form of gift that comes from God is an expression of his grace. It has nothing to do with how good you are, how spiritual you are, how righteous you are. Now, I'm probably like you. I've met some pretty immature Christians that have exhibited some incredible spiritual gifts. Have you ever met someone like that? They don't really have the character that sort of you think would align with that gift that they express. And often we compare ourselves. We think, well, I'm a bit more mature than them. How come I haven't had that gift, right? And some people will, will even not do the right thing but can still express some sort of spiritual gift. And sometimes we think that the goal is to manifest some of those Holy Spirit gifts in 1 Corinthians to be like somebody else. And again, that's an incomplete understanding. Or what about um, our gift really defines our identity. So you have, you have Christians who will say, I'm an evangelist. Uh, I'm a hot cross bun that tastes like a Maccas. I've never heard of that actually, Jordan. Thank you. He's going to get me one. But that's also incomplete. Now, there are evangelists, so it's not like it's not true, but it's not the full picture in which God presents what he's about and why he's done it the way he has, and that he includes us in it. So, you know, you can't just be an evangelist. That's an incomplete, inaccurate definition, even if you have the gift of evangelism. And so part of it is trying to unpack some of this as we go today. Um, the next one here is all the, all the spiritual gifts that ever existed are listed in the Bible. Eh -eh. I have to phone a friend, right? So one of the strange things, unless you read theological discourse and discussions and books and you know commentaries, they're often called, theologians that study this material, particularly on spiritual gifts, they have one thing in common that they'll chat about through their books to one another, and that is we have an incomplete list of spiritual gifts. And I'm going to explain why that is, but they all agree on that, that in actual fact, even though we have these lists, and I'll show you a chart in a moment with them listed, it's not as if God is presenting to us all possible options of how the Spirit's going to work amongst us. That's not the purpose in which they were written for. Really, they were written to someone else with a particular set of issues they were dealing with in their own community as a local church. And so Paul, who, who writes those first three, so um, Romans, Corinthians and Ephesians, it's the same author, but he's writing to 
those three different church communities that had a different issue. And so he does list them, but here's a great theological phrase that uh, one of the world-leading theologians on this subject uses about this issue. He says they're ad hoc. That's very spiritual, isn't it? The lists in the New Testament are ad hoc. They're eclectic because that's not Paul's agenda. He's not trying to say, well, here for Christians for all time, here's a complete list of how the Spirit will, will always move. That's not what he's doing. He's dealing with an issue. So in Romans, he's talking to Christians that live in, obviously in Rome. That's where it gets its name from. So they're Gentile Christians. They understand about power and authority and living under submission. And so in Romans chapter 12, Paul is teaching them to give their whole self as a sacrifice to God. And the way you do that is exhibit the gift, whatever it is you've got, to serve other people. If you read through the whole chapter of Romans 12, that's where he ends up. Your gift is about serving other people. And so it's not like we have a complete list of all the gifts. It is ad hoc because he, no one sat down to write an almanac of every spiritual gift that we could ever experience on this earth. That's not the point of it. So anyway, there's a few more there you can read um, for yourselves and if you want to screenshot that or if you want a copy of this, I'm happy to send it to you. So Caleb's my great uh, slide controller down the back. Let's go to the next one. What does the word gift mean? Because this, I think this is part of the struggle in why there's so many theories around spiritual gifts that um, maybe don't agree with each other. Uh, so many different ideas and this sort of fog or misunderstanding of information. So when we talk about the word gift, the main thing I want you to understand before I tell you what the number one reason is about spiritual gifts, before on our, on our journey to into that particular point, this is, the, this is probably the foundational thing I want you to hang on to first. When the word gift is used in the New Testament, it doesn't mean the same thing in these three instances. It actually means very different things. Now, when we use the word in English, we really only have one sort of idea, and that is that I'm giving something to you. So like a birthday present is a gift or a Christmas present or a hot cross bun that tastes like a Big Mac. Um, I'm giving it and you own it, you can eat it, it's yours. But that's not how Paul uses the word gift. So it gets translated, obviously, from this Greek language in which the New Testament is written, put into our language, but our language sort of morphs the way we use the word gift. We don't have a lot of wriggle room for having different levels of meaning for the word. Now, there is some. So, for example, I could say I'm God's gift to the earth because I'm just so good looking and, you know. We have other phrases, right? That person has a real gift. In other words, they're good at something. Or when you're in the shopping mall buying those hot cross buns and it says free gift to motivate you to buy something, which you're probably paying for anyway. It's not really free, right? But anyway, that's, that's how marketing works. So we, we use the word gift a little bit in, our, in various ways, but we don't often use it in the way that Paul had as he wrote on these three separate occasions to three different church communities, he uses a different word in Greek. But in English, you have to translate it as gift. So that's part of our challenge. So here we go. You can see here, I've got the Romans chapter 12 passage. I've got the gifts all listed there. So again, that's not, when you look across those three sections, I don't include First Peter just for time and so on, but you can see that's not a complete list across those three different places in which the gifts are listed. 
That's all we get in Scripture from the apostles. But what I want you to note is underneath that, the, the main verb or what's the main idea that Paul was telling each individual case because it's very different. So in Romans, the main word he uses here is an ancient Greek term that meant activity, something you do. So when, he, when we read it in English as use your gift for the community, he's talking about whatever you do, whatever action, whatever behaviour. So, you know, prophesying, standing up and saying that something's not right here and we've got to align it back with what God intends. That's the idea of prophesying. So, or when, you know, because when you look at this ad hoc list, how, how is giving and prophesying related? Or how, how is... How is leading and mercy related? Because they're all activities. There's something that you and I can do. Now, here's the other thing about Romans 12. You can do it anywhere. You can do it with your neighbour. You can do it when you go back to school tomorrow. You can do it in your workplace tomorrow. You can do any of those things because it's an act of service. It's an activity. So it's not the English idea of here's, here's a birthday gift for you. I'm giving it to you. You now own it. It's yours. It's actually anything we do that represents God to the greater world. That's the idea here. So very different from maybe what you heard is a spiritual gift. Let's jump into the Ephesians passage because that's very unique. The idea here is, well, they're identities of Jesus. You've probably never heard that idea. But Jesus was, a, was fully a teacher he was fully a shepherd. He was fully a prophet. He did it all in a perfect form. It's not that those, those, those identities didn't exist in creation because it's all through God's creation all the time. So, I mean, we, Sue and I met a person, a, a very wealthy businessman just the other week um, in Melbourne, and he un, he's not a Christian, but he's exhibiting apostolic patterns. He goes into new frontiers and he develops whole new stuff that no one else has ever done before. Because the word apostle just simply means to separate and send. That's what it means in the Greek. But we've, we sometimes Christianise these terminologies and as if these things can only exist in the church. But in Ephesians, what Paul's saying is, well, when Jesus ascended, so after his death and resurrection, and he ascended back into heaven, sat at the right hand of the Father, he gave these perfect expressions of his ministry back to the church so that we would grow, mature, and reach fullness in Christ. So these are, these are the perfect identities of Jesus, but they're lived out as a vocation or a calling on some of us. And so this is, again, a very different way of using the word gift. The gift are actually people, but those people are exhibiting the perfect ministries of Jesus so that we can all serve together, mature and become full of Jesus. So again, we don't use that word gift in that way in our common language. Then let's look at the, the third one I've got there in 1 Corinthians. This is probably the one you've heard the most about. Now, when you, what the funny thing is, um, I don't know if you've got your Bible open there, but if you've got um, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 open, and it says, Paul says, and he's switching subjects, he's teaching this, this very, unfortunately, the Corinth church was a little bit dysfunctional. They had a whole lot of issues going on, relational problems. 
they had, they had spiritual gift abuse going on. And so when we get to this point in his writing to them, trying to address a series of issues that they had where they're not really following God correctly, they're allowing their, their other historical cultural influences as pagans influence the way they did church or the way they were doing their discipleship. So when we get to chapter 12, we know from all of the writings and all the theologians that, that talk about 1 Corinthians 12, they say that when we're like listening to one side of a telephone conversation when you read his letters. You read 1 Corinthians 12 and 2nd, oh, sorry, 1 Corinthians the whole book and 2 Corinthians the whole book. It's like listening to one side of a story. But you can pick up, here's the issue they had. There were some people in their church that thought they were more spiritual than anybody else because they spoke in tongues. That's actually the reason we have this little list in 1 Corinthians because Paul actually is unpacking this idea, well, <laughs> you think you're more spiritual. That's why he says to them, I speak in tongues more than all of you combined. Like, you know, if you think that's the goal, you've, you've got it wrong. And so they had this idea because of their other pagan worship that they came out of that if they exhibited this particular gift, they were more spiritual than the other people. And, of course, that's totally incorrect. There's no humility. There's no teachability. There's no sense of I'm doing it for the greater good. There's this sort of sense of self-aggrandizement or self-importance. We would call it pride, arrogance. And that cannot, that in God's kingdom, that cannot go with the expression of any spiritual gift. Arrogance, self-importance or pride. In fact, it's so anti-Christ, it's unbelievable that humans can do that. We can. They were doing it. You've probably met other people who have done it. You may have done it yourself at times where you think it's more about you as you exhibit a gift. So Paul's writing to them to say to them, that's not the case. And here's the interesting thing. In, in, verse, in verse 1 of Romans chapter 12, the word gift doesn't actually appear in the manuscripts. It's put there by the translators. Now, it does appear later on, in, I think it's in verse 3 or 4. So that's why the translators inserted in verse 1. Here's why they have to do it, because this is what it literally reads. If you could read the original language that Paul wrote um, this verse in, it reads, now about spirituals. Now, I don't know about you, doesn't matter how many Big Mac-tasting hot cross buns you eat, we don't speak that way, right? Now, to Paul, that was a normal expression. We could say now about spiritual things, now about spiritual matters, now about being spiritual, but because the word gift appears a few verses later, and to put it in a context, which we need, so translators have to make these choices for us, they insert it in verse 1. But here's what Paul is actually talking about. These are manifestations or the evidence of the Holy Spirit moving in a corporate Christian meeting. So whether it's a prayer meeting in our language, uh, a connect group, or whether it's on a Sunday worship service like this, this is all about the Holy, what the Holy Spirit wants to do for the whole group. Whoever's in that particular meeting at that time or in that group at that time, it's not actually a gift that you get to keep. In fact, one theologian cheekily said, it's funny we use the term spiritual gifts because we never say spiritual fruit. How's your spiritual fruit going? 
Have you ever heard that term? So a better way, you know, I mean, we're sort of stuck with the phrase because of the way language works, but a better way of sort of expressing what he's talking about in this section of spiritual gifts is really gifts of the Spirit. They're his gifts. They're not mine. So if I prophesy, it's not my gift. It's the Spirit's gift to the church coming through my mouth. If, if I exhibit a gift of healing, it's the Spirit healing somebody. It's not me, right? Do you get that? So, that's, so here we have very three different ideas and yet we've got an English word that sort of ties it together and doesn't help us. So we've got in 1 Corinthians the manifestations or the evidence that the Spirit is moving. So words of knowledge, gift of faith, uh, healing, speaking in tongues, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is moving and it's supernatural and it's evidence to all of us in the room. In Ephesians, it's the identities of Jesus that are perfect and he anoints people to carry it out on behalf of the whole church. So they're people. They're identities of Jesus in people. And in Romans, it's an activity. Anything we do for the benefit of other people, that's actually us acting as a gift. Now, what, what, what is gift about? Let's have a look at that one. Let's go to the next one. Thanks, Caleb. So what is the gift about? Here's the main thing is, I've sort of mentioned this, the gift actually is about right down the bottom. In Romans 12, you're displaying God's loving character to the whole world. Wherever you are, you can serve someone. So here's a common thread you'll find. Even though the word gift means different things, the common thread which will lead us to the number one thing you need to know about spiritual gifts is that gift, when you serve someone else, is not about you, it's about other people. In fact, in Romans 12, the Father gives us those activities to do to represent him, not just to other Christians, but to the wider world. Represent his nature, his character. It's an act of grace on his behalf that he has us doing activities in the whole world that represent and reflect him. The second one is very different because they're gifts of identities in people to bring the church to maturity. And we need, let's face it, um, I don't know if you've realised, but when you become a Christian, you don't automatically mature. It's a pity that, right? But it's just like a natural human baby. They're not born mature. We're born as infants. When you're born again, you're born as an infant, and we have to grow and develop. And God's only plan, only plan for that growth and development is he's given five people gifts to represent his identity. Jesus has done this to bring us to maturity and fullness in him. But the only way we get there is as we serve together to equip people, most of you will know the verse, to equip people to do works of service so that you can mature and become full in Christ. So that's a, that's a, that's a structure, right? Given these five identities of Christ are given through people so that to equip all of us to serve together, as we serve together, we mature. You ever had to work with someone you don't really get along with, with different personalities, different viewpoints? Anyone here married, by the way, right? <laughs> And so when you serve together, you're forced to mature. 
Now, I'll flip that a bit. You probably can't really mature if you're not serving God somewhere. You'll stay immature. There is no other plan. There's no other way to get there. Again, like an infant at home, you know, when my kids were growing up, they had to participate in family activities, not because, you know, I didn't want to do the dishes, but because I'm trying to help them mature. We see it in the natural because it's a spiritual principle, right? Whatever you see in the natural is already in the spiritual. So the way you mature is by being led by those five people gifts that identify perfectly with Jesus, but it's to get us to serve to grow up. That's how we get there. The third one is this is the Holy Spirit in action amongst us and he manifests himself, not, not me, not you. He is working through us to achieve something for somebody else. That's what he's doing. Let's go to the next slide. What's the result of the gift? Because I'm running out of time here. The result of the gift, well, in Romans 12, if you serve anywhere, anyone on behalf of God, it is so diverse. You can do it anywhere on the planet. You can do it to your neighbour, to your family member, to your school friend. You can do it to your work colleague. You can do it to a total stranger. You can represent God and serve a need they have because you've got the capacity to do it but you are representing God. Whether they're aware of it or not, you are representing the goodness and the love and the mercy of our God. It's diverse. You can do it absolutely anywhere. Ephesians 4 is a little bit different. The effect of that gift is it impacts all of us in the room. So, in fact, I'm teaching. That's one of my gifts that I express. And as I'm teaching, you're maturing. Unless, of course, I put you to sleep, then... I can't help you with that, right? So that's a whole different thing. It's actually got this very, it's diverse in the sense it's within the family of God, but it, the really idea here is this idea of unifying us into the fullness of Jesus as we serve and work together in the body of Christ. This last one is very different. The effect of these manifestations of the Spirit it has nothing to do with the person exhibiting that manifestation. It's for the common good. So this is the way I sort of put it in everyday speech for us today. The Holy Spirit wants to do something in somebody else in the group, in the meeting. And so the Holy Spirit flows through me, but it's not for me, it's not about me, it's about the other person. And this is the biblical phrase, for the common good. So, you know, when people say, oh, well, I'm a prophet, they say, well, you may not be because you might have prophesied, you might prophesy today, but maybe, you know, in Connect Group, you'll have a word of knowledge because you don't own the gift. You don't keep it. So That's where the English lets us down. It's this, what the Spirit wants to do. Now, let me show you why I'm saying this. Let's go to the next slide, Caleb. Here's the actual verse, and I've highlighted a couple of things. I'll try and get out of everyone's way. Just notice how many times we have the word different, same, and in a, what we call a summary statement in theology. So there are different gifts, but the same spirit. So hang on, heads up. That's an intro statement that Paul is telling us before he lists anything. That's his main point. Different, but we're all the same. it all comes from the same source. right? So it's got nothing to do with you. It's the Holy Spirit. You don't deserve it. You don't earn it. 
You can't be more righteous to get it. It's the grace of God for the spirit to move for the benefit of somebody else, not you. And so verse 5, there are different ministries, but the same Lord. There are different results, but the same God who produces all of them in how many people? So people say, oh, I, don't have, I, I, have, I don't have the gift. I don't have that gift. Well, you don't possess it. It's when the Holy Spirit's moving. You're like a conduit that it flows through. But look at those first two, uh, three verses. Different gifts, but the same spirit. Look how Paul frames his theology. Different ministries, but the same Lord. So that's Jesus. Different results, but the same God. So spirit, Lord, God. Same, but the, manif the evidence looks different, feels different, sounds different. So verse 7, here's the point. To each person, the manifestation, which is a better word than gift, but it's a clunky word in English, right? When's the last time you said, well, honey, I manifested the Holy Spirit today? Right? It's a bit of an awkward term for us, right? Because we, we're not Greek speakers like Paul was. But he says, to each person, the manifestation of the Spirit. So there's the point. It's not a gift as in permanence. It just comes through you for someone else at that moment of time, right? So each person, the manifestation is given for the benefit of how many people? So here's, here's a challenging question. If you, are, you think you're exhibiting a spiritual gift and it's not benefiting anyone, are you really being spiritual? I don't think so. Okay, I'll go home now. <laughs> but for me, that's the test, right? So, you know, when sometimes if I get a, I think I have a word or a picture or, you know, some message, I will say in my head, okay, God, is that for me? Because I think sometimes it's for me. You know, you ever been in a meeting and someone stands up, thus saith the Lord, and the whole meeting shifts. It's like, where did that come? What was that about? Like, when no one understands, like, you really have to say, okay, God, is that for me or is that for the group right now? Because sometimes, you, you know, you, you, you can think you're being spiritual, but it's not benefiting the other people in the room at the time, which to me is the litmus test for being spiritual here, right? And so then he lists them. So the Spirit's given for the benefit of all of us. But then he lists them. And again, I'm not going to read it, but again, you've got the same word being repeated, right? So when he lists the, the different expressions of the Holy Spirit, he's saying the main point he's making, it's the one Spirit. It's the same Spirit. And the same Spirit gives this. And the same Spirit does that. But I think sometimes we've been unintentionally trained just to look at the different gifts and we miss the point Paul's actually making. The point is, hey, you guys in Corinth think you're really spiritual because you speak in tongues. Actually, in fact, you're not. That's not the point of the, of the spirit manifesting, by the way. And it's the one spirit that does a whole gamut of things. And again, this is not a complete exhaustive list of those manifestations of the spirit because he's just making the point to impact their faulty practice and belief system. So then he says right at the end here, in verse 11, it is one and the same spirit. So in other words, you haven't got the point now. You're like in Back to the Future. Hello, McFly. Hello. Right? Look at verse 11. It's the one and the same spirit distributing as who decides. Nothing to do with you. It's not your gift. It's the spirit's gift comes and goes as the Spirit wills, right? 
So as he decides to each person who produces the whole thing, it's for the common good. So here's the number one thing you need to know. Last slide, thanks, Caleb. The number one thing you need to know, I've got it here actually, sorry. The gifts are not about you. It's God's grace, but he wants us to all grow up. He wants us to all mature. The Holy Spirit does want to manifest for the common good. So to give a word to someone, to heal someone, to encourage someone, to rebuke someone, to prophesy for the whole group, to give an interpretation over something that we don't understand the Spirit's just mentioned or, or flagged. So the Spirit's doing all this, but here's the number one thing you need to know. It's not about you. It's about all of us. There's no self-importance. You're not more spiritual than the rest of us. God can use anyone. For goodness sakes, God spoke through a donkey. So I don't know why you think you're great because you exhibit a certain spiritual gift, right? Because the bar's pretty low, right? But thank goodness for that. I'm not more spiritual than you are. I know, I know when, when people often lead, you know, from the front of a service, we can think that. But I'm just as normal as you and I'm as just as dependent on the Holy Spirit as you are. I'm not better than you. I'm not greater than you. I'm not more righteous than you, more holy than you. I'm just a normal person who's following God with all my heart and I'll do whatever God asks me to so we can all grow up in his kingdom together. So you shouldn't be afraid of spiritual gifts. Don't be afraid of them. Don't think, oh, God would never use me. Because I'm I disqualified. You know, I see Pastor Charles or I see Pastor Jasmine. And, you know, I'm, I'm not like them. That's faulty thinking. Because it's the Holy Spirit who wants to do something in someone else just through you. That's all it is. Just through you. And it's not permanent. It doesn't mean you're that type of person for the rest of your life. It might be different another time because it's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. So the number one thing about spiritual gifts, it's always about other one, another person. And they can be in the kingdom or outside of the kingdom of God. It's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Why don't you stand with me as we close our service today? I want you to close your eyes and before God, honestly, just you and God, examine what you think about spiritual gifts. And particularly thinking of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. The questions like, can God use me? Why would God even think of using me? One of the things we're doing in our church family, just keep your eyes closed for a moment. I want you to think, think through the words that I'm saying. We want the Holy Spirit to move. And that's because we know the, the Bible, as we just read in 1 Corinthians, tells us the Holy Spirit wants to move for the common good. It's not about notoriety for the person exhibiting that manifestation of the Spirit. It's all about what God is wanting to do in all of our lives. That can be an individual life, can be the life of a family, it can be the life of the church as a whole group. So don't be afraid of spiritual gifts. All you have to do is keep your heart humble and teachable before God. You can't manufacture an expression of the spiritual gift. It's just when the Spirit is ready to move and He has His own agenda in what He wants to do. 
And all spiritual gifts bring life and encouragement and strength. It also says that in Corinthians. That like when we prophesy, it's for the encouragement and strength of other people. So you can be utilised by expression of spiritual gift this week. And Father God, I pray, Lord, that as we consider our own heart, attitudes towards the expression of your spirit flowing for the benefit of all of us, that we would hang on to being humble. What a privilege to be used by you to minister life through your spirit into someone else. Lord, keep us from becoming prideful, arrogant, superficial, thinking we're better than others because you have used us in some small way. We're nothing but your vessels, Lord God. For our church family and for everybody listening online and also every person who is right here in this service this morning, I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would flow through us more and more to mature for the common good, that we would remember the number one thing about any spiritual gift, any gift of the Spirit is for other people. It's not about us. It's not about me personally. May we represent you, Lord, in that humble but that also that hungry way of living a spiritual life here on earth. Just keep your eyes closed for a moment. If you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, you can do it today. That's what I did one day. It's, it's actually really easy. You've heard me say you don't have to be holy, perfect, righteous. Your life might be a mess. You, you might think, why would God even love me? And, and Pastor Jordan mentioned that earlier today. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I believe you are there. You are, the, you are God's son and I want to follow you. I want to learn about you. That's, that's all what it means to become a Christian. And that's just the start of a journey that changes your whole life because at that moment, God comes in and makes a difference. You're freed from the penalty of anything you've ever done wrong, which in theological terms, it's called sin. But you're freed from that because that's what Jesus took on the cross. So if that's you today, I'm going to pray for you right now, but please come and talk to me. I'll be, I'll be right at the front of our auditorium after the service. I'll explain a little bit more what it is to follow Jesus. But Father, I pray, Lord, for any person who's making that decision right now or even contemplating to put you as their number one priority and to shape their life after you, that you, you led a life that shows us exactly how your Father wants us to live on this earth. So Holy Spirit, I pray your blessing over their lives. Come into their heart. Wash away their sins like you did for us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.